0: Oh, What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm your host Jordan Shelton. Today I am talking with Grant Tucker. He is the founder of Chroma Spring. We get into his journey, you know, just stepping into the world as a creative, his experience working with big brands, small brands. We get into a good discussion just on, you know, how freelancers should really be positioning themselves and how to think and how to go after top-tier clients and also how to get paid. We spend a lot of time just talking about those pain points and how to structure deals if you are you know, a creative and you're going out there and you're working with a brand and you don't know what to do. So uh, we both talk about some of the lumps we've taken. I think if you are a freelancer, you're a creative, or you're starting your own agency, maybe you run an agency, I think this will be a really valuable lesson for you. But before we get into it, I do have to say this show is brought to you by us and we are Cave Social. Cave Social, we're a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow using social media. So if you're feeling stuck, you need some help when it comes to social, either organic or paid, head over to cavesocial.com. Hit that contact us. We'd be glad to help you out. All right, that's it. Sit back and enjoy this one. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today, I am sitting with Grant Tucker. He is the founder of Chroma Spring. Grant, how you doing?
1: Doing pretty good, man. How you doing?
0: I'm good. I know uh, you and I have been connected on Twitter, I think, at first and have gone back and forth on there for probably the better part of a year talking marketing. So I'm excited to have you on the show. I know we got a lot to talk about. <laughs>
1: yeah, we, got, we, got, we got a lot of things that I think that people would get a lot out of especially smaller creatives that are are trying to make that jump.
0: For sure. And before we get into the tips and tricks for freelancers, I want to pass the mic to you to just tell your story of how you got into this crazy game of marketing and then where you're at now, launch of the new brand, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So I started shooting kind of out of necessity. I shot concerts and things like that to sell I didn't know what it was at the time, but it ended up that you know that was content marketing because I was trying to sell my T-shirts that I started making in high school, and they they stopped selling. So I was like, you know, what if I go if I go to these concerts, like I can get people to go to the blog just like the hundreds does, and then maybe I can get one of the rappers to wear the shirts, and then you know I'll be a millionaire after that. And that was my idea <laughs> at the time, and then. You know, that was, you know, over a decade ago, I guess. So it was like when I was like 16 and then I ended up actually getting a cease and desist for that company because I didn't research the name. So that was was a colossal failure. But eventually that turned into me getting a job as a social media manager at a catering company right out of college. So I got it about a month before graduation because I got fired from my call center job at Best Buy, just because i hanging up because I didn't want to get yelled at over VCR installations. So that was the worst part of all of it. <laughs> I did that for about a year or so. I tried to quit multiple times, just because I wasn't you know, really enjoying it that much. I ended up getting like a job as a, a BMW salesman. And when I tried to quit that day and you know, my business partner or my boss was like, you know, I'm not, you're going to waste your life just going there. Like, you don't want to do that. And he's right. I didn't. Like, I didn't actually want to sell cars. It sounds horrible, especially now. I can't imagine trying to sell a car right now. And, you know, it turned out that he invested in me and helped me, you know, get Platform Creative House off the ground, which technically is still the name of the company today. Chroma Spring is our relaunch that I've been working on for the past couple months. Um, that hopefully should be, should be coming in the next couple weeks. It's a completely new and different concept from the way that I've approached things in the past. And you know, I've looked back at a lot of the decisions and you know, mistakes that I've made in the past three to four years of doing this. And I think that with this new direction that we're going in, it'll open up a lot of opportunities for not just me, but for the company to grow and, and for, to help the creative community as a whole in Houston, because it's not very prevalent like you would have in you know, Chicago, or New York, or, or LA. So it's just something that I'm hoping to build and it's turning into a way more grand of a vision than I thought it was going to be, which is why I missed the myself and post headline for the relaunch. But you know, everything happens for a reason. Now that the stress is gone of hitting that date, like I think I can really focus in and get this knocked out.
0: And walk me through it, right? So initially you started off and we talked a little bit beforehand, but the work it really came through you and it was bigger prod like bigger one off type projects or what was the initial model and then now what is the new thing that you're hoping to really build and you know give to that creative community in houston
1: see i mean originally the the company was meant to be something that you know we could help i guess local small businesses get popular on social media because that's a that's what everybody wants right so we did a lot of you know campaign videos and things like that for some startups locally just some local businesses and then as time went on and you know i started working with finish line like you said a lot of the work started coming directly as a result of what i was posting on instagram and then you know over the years that led to a pretty big concentration in footwear work which i had never really seen before so like i thought it was cool like when i when i first started i was like oh yeah these you know i'm working with all these brands like this is crazy. Like I'm getting all this free stuff, but I was making like no money. (laughs) It was like doing things for exposure, but I'm working like hundreds of hours on products, on projects. And it's something that over the years I've learned that it's not sustainable. It's not how you build a business. You can't even build a team around that really. So with Chroma spring and the new approach, it's kind of splitting the company into two silos. So we'll have more of like the white glove, like studio level service and creative for brands and that'll most likely be like mid to mid to large brands and then more of a factory model that can act as both like agency support and small like quick things that we can knock out for small businesses that may not have the budget but they still have a need for for high production value because as much as marketing experts of the world want to shove you know native content down everybody's throats. Like I just think at a certain point people are gonna be tired of seeing cell phone videos of a product and they're gonna wanna see something that looks like a commercial. It's crazy to say, but like I feel like making something look like a commercial is is rare these days. And that's something that I'd really like to stick to and in- I have a very, very close connection with the creative and it's something I care about a lot, which is why I don't have any interest in doing like media buys and things like that, like a traditional agency would do. I want to push ideas and concepts and formats as as far as we can possibly push them and hopefully in turn, you know, be able to grow a team full of people that are just trying to to push things further and not just settling for checking off
0: invoices. Yeah, no, it's interesting, right? And like, there's two things I want to unpack and you know, that first one is that people are, that native is great, but that like, people are going to get tired of it. And I actually agree. I think that every healthy marketing mix is a mix. That type of content is great, but there's still a reason that McDonald's will run a 15 second ad that drops in literally product photo, product photo and price two for three go here. Like that's still creative it still and it still works. And it tells me it's not some massive story and it's not like, I don't need brand storytelling there because you're already doing that on other platforms and other ways. So there you're just exactly. like, here's my offer, right? Here's my yeah. product. And I do think it's making a mix. And to your point, good creative is going to win every time. So, and I look at certain brands, there's no way that Louis Vuitton is going to take a video on their cell phone and post their product, right? Yeah, like exactly. that, that consumer is expecting a highly produced video. They like that. And exactly. And I would be yeah, like it'd be like what like (laughs) so you're telling me that Gucci's making videos on their iPhone 10? I don't think so.
1: I was talking about this a a couple weeks ago. I I get really sometimes I just get really annoyed if I see something on Twitter and you know a thread happens of because I feel like a lot of people have a very negative view of marketing and what it is because now it's just like you you see the words influencer and algorithm pop up all over the place and people act like influencers are new, which they're not. And people act like algorithms do things that they don't do because they don't understand how they work. And I feel like it, things like that and it causes like this group think that, not only makes it harder for us to do a good job, like it makes it, it lessens the value that brands have on that work. So it's like, if I have a company hitting us up and they're like, oh, I wanna, I wanna do TikToks. Like I don't, I mean, I tell them that I don't really do that because it's not something that I feel like I'm an expert in because I've seen some people on TikTok that just are mind-blowingly creative. Like they're just insane. But then I've also seen people where it's just like, they're doing, you know, what's the TikTok trend of that day? And then try to slap a brand on top of it it's not going to work like i don't think you should avoid things like that like i think that to your point i think you said it a couple of days ago like your brand doesn't necessarily need a TikTok. like it's you got to do what makes sense for you and you have to you know take all the opportunities that you can and understand which ones are for your brand and which ones are just strictly top of funnel like catch everything you can
0: and it's separating out ego right like so many yeah. marketers have like this massive ego and that if they're not getting the views or if they're not up to date with the latest trend you know right now and then the marketing the little marketing bubble on onto an idea of, like if your brand's not on TikTok, it's not going to be around and it's like no if your brand doesn't make money it's not going to be around exactly. you, you get it man you get it creators <laughs> are so like in marketers where i get mad is like when marketers just discount profit and discount sales and discount this whole thing. And they get so attached to like creative purity. And I'm like, this is a business. I feel like I shouldn't have to say that I'd like if this, like if your marketing campaign doesn't make money, it was a failure and that shouldn't be a hot take. And it's it's crazy because like,
1: and I'm guilty of being one of those people that focuses on the creative, but that's more because I have such ownership over what that work is. So it's a personal thing, but me as a separating that out as a business, like if we, for example, because I think it's important to talk about, you know, when you mess up a couple months ago, we started doing ads for this company. And we weren't we weren't doing the buys or anything. Like the guy who owns the company scaled it. He's just absolutely ridiculous with Facebook ads. And personally I worked on these four ads. There were four Facebook ads. I spent probably sixty five hours on them. Just on these four ads. So you're talking about what, the twenty seconds of creative, maybe. And Mm -hmm. I didn't charge the full price for that. Like I I just charge, I mean, I lost the money that I charged for it was enough to pay like, you know, render bills that month. So it's not something I made any money on, but it's when he was telling us that we weren't even converting at 1%. I'm like, look, stop, stop running the ads. Like, I don't want to think that you're you're dumping money, trying to make something work because I'm so attached to it. Like, don't do that. <laughs> like, it's not like you're, I wouldn't want anyone to harm their business out of like a personal you know relationship they have with me or, or something like that like you have to do what's best for your company or your company ceases to be a company
0: and, and, and that's, that's the big issue. thing is like it's risking enough but to still be around tomorrow right and to your point like it's just not being married it's not dying on the hill with your creative like there has to be give and take sales departments are important your marketing department's important we have to be able to separate out what our customers are actually responding to versus what marketing Twitter is telling us to do. Because I see things on there and it's like somebody from a company with infinity budget starts talking some craziness. And I'm like, that doesn't apply to like 98% of businesses. yeah. Like, Or they're using some like 50 years of established brand power. Like look what Nike did with influencers. I'm like, yeah, but Nike was gonna be fine without TikTok. Like they don't even need to be on social media and they'll still sell the most shoes. Like it's not- Like Apple does. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? So, I think that's stuff's interesting. And that leads me back to the initial point, which I want to talk about freelancers and really the allure of working for big brands and how it might be a little bit, I think the messaging might be misguided out there that you have to work with like some recognizable brand and you have to do that to like establish yourself, quote unquote. I just <clears> wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, balancing exposure. Versus, like, you know, quote unquote, getting exposure versus maybe just working with a great local business that pays the bills and where to put efforts on. If you're, you know, if you're starting off as a freelancer, where do you go?
1: That's a tough one because it's it's a huge catch-22. Like, and it's really hard to tell people not to go after brands because that would just be ridiculous. Like, if you have the opportunity to work with a big brand, do it. If it's something that you know, first and foremost, make sure your business is good, like make sure that you have enough to keep things going and probably not do the things that I do, like I try to push things as as far as I can. And sometimes I don't I don't hit that and I make I make too big of a commitment as far as a creative goes. And then, you know, it works out in the end, but it's very, very stressful. you know, during the entire process. But it's like a lot of people don't realize that these big brands are going to pay you the least amount of money. And especially, I think it's very, very important as a freelancer to understand how much a business costs. Like the cost of doing business is ridiculous. Like it just blew my mind. Like how much having one person work for you costs. Like you you look at the salary and you're like, oh, that's how much it is. Like I can make that in two projects, and then all these little things add up, and you're just like, okay, well, this was a terrible decision. Like why would anybody do this? And then you think about the fact that you have like you know somebody's livelihood is you're responsible for that, and then that turns it into something else. And. As far as like you know from freelance to agency i think that the lines between those are blurring a lot i haven't really called myself a freelancer for the last few years even though i was you know largely operating by myself i never considered it as a freelancer because to me the work that i was doing am doing is something that a lot of freelancers aren't able to do because they don't make the same types of investments in like gear and expertise and things like that like i don't really take any time off like i don't have hobbies like my work is my hobby it's the thing that i enjoy doing the most so it's like that's what i'm doing all the time and most people aren't like that it's not something and, and that's that you shifting, can expect. Right?
0: Yeah. And that's shifting the mindset from freelancer to like high level consultant and like high level performer, right? Like like that's being a top performer is investing in that equipment and investing in the the work. So so it's going to come out and then you can demand the high fee, right? Or higher fee. It's so interesting, like people, and you said something there about understanding, you know, the cost of everything when you're, uh, when you're getting into it. And I think a lot of people, when they start out, myself included, they set an arbitrary hourly rate. And they go oh you know 100 bucks an hour 150 an hour whatever it is and they go oh if i work this will take me four hours okay cool i'll make 400 and it's like it totally discounts one like your equipment per- that you had to purchase two the time it took the sales process like all of these things start to go into the cost to get that client and you you know might think oh it's 100 bucks an hour cool and i'll get 20 hours but when you actually do the math on it over the course of a year you end up losing money on those things and it yeah. always ends up taking way more time than you. That's something every freelancer <laughs> I've talked to is horrible at, at cost estimate, a cost estimating like <laughs> ends up yeah. taking way more time. So I'm interested to hear like for pricing, right? Um, somebody comes out and do you guys do hourly or day or week or Flat rate project. What what do you advise people to do?
1: No, you just you just led with led with the hard one. So <laughs> so with this one it's 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 tough because every every single situation for me has for the last few years has been different, which has been the biggest problem and it's been the biggest thing that's been holding the business back. And that's because every single project that I take on is usually vastly different from the last one. So like in the last two months, like I've done I've done a brand design done a couple of website things video animation photo pretty much just straight across the board so it's not something that like if you're highly specialized i think it's a lot easier to predict those types of things so like if you're a concert photographer that's your rate you know what your rate is like charge your rate if you're doing branding i don't think there's any way that you can Put a price tag on that because every brand is different. I mean, our brand that I'm making for us, for example, I thought it was going to be something easy and it's turned into the most intensive brand project I've ever done. And I created, you know, three retail brands from scratch last year for a cannabis company. So it's like every single project is going to change. And I think that it's more of having those costs of running your business and hopefully growing your business, having those in the back of your mind at all times to give you a context to to pull from. So even though it's not something where you can give a definitive answer, like you need to do this, you need to do this. I think that's what messes a lot of people up because they're looking for that quick answer and I just, I don't think there is one. I don't think anybody's fully figured out pricing. I think they've figured out what they can get away with themselves.
0: Yeah. And I think there's something interesting there about like balancing your passion and your specialization versus keeping the lights on. Yeah. And an example of that would be like, you know, we've had down cycles and somebody comes and like, Hey, will you build us a website? And we can do it. And, but I don't like that. It's not what we're specialized in. I'm not like, it's not that great of a product. I don't think that we deliver on websites. Like, I think it's fine to be completely candid with people listening. Like, I think we can design a good website. It's, but there are people who do it that's their gig, you know, like that's their specialization and it's like, okay, I'm sure Derek Jeter is a good golfer, but that's not what he does. Right. Exactly. And I feel like that sometimes, but I also, I'm like, we got to keep the lights on and this is a good project. So Mm -hmm. why would we, you know, I'm not going to turn that away for myself. At least we got to a point where I took a fundamental shift and I said, okay, I'm no longer doing that and I'm going to find partners who can handle that. And anytime that stuff comes in, I'm going to hand it to them as specialists and then just make, you know, make a commission on it, which I think is
1: the best way to do it.
0: Yeah. Instead of getting bogged down in like things that I'm like, because I break it down like this, like everybody hears, Oh, you got to do what you're great at and outsource what you're bad at, right? What your value add do, what your value negative don't do. But where people get lost is so many people do things that are value neutral at. Mm-hmm. and that's like me making a website, I'm value neutral. It's not really adding to the business. Yeah, like I'm I'll do it. Little, but yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I've always just thought like that too, and or not always, but changed mind recently to think like, okay, am I value add here or am I value neutral? And I think that freelancers, agency folk who are just getting started, you know, we're talking small agencies, you know, teams of under five. When you're looking at projects and taking things on, it's really, it's tough, man. It's tough to balance that cuz you also don't want to be making websites until the end of time so like <laughs> um. yeah, and then you have to
1: maintain them which is the worst part like there's nothing i hate more than getting changes that, like i hate opening my email and seeing like super tiny changes that are going to just be annoying to make for like 30 minutes it just it starts my day horribly <laughs> so it's like it's not something i want to do but i think the big thing that people focus on and and it's something i've been thinking about a lot lately since we're you know building this this model that is essentially three parts in, in one company because it's going to be B2B, B2C, and then it's split between the size of the companies between that. So I don't know if you would fully break that up, but to me, it's it's something that's that's different. And I feel like if and you want to establish yourself and you want to compete on price and you want to do things for cheap, you better have the scale so that you don't lose the money on that. You need to be able to get these things done quick and cheaply. If you're doing something where you're just charging a ton of money, you better be absolutely amazing. Like that needs to be like your specialization. So it's like anywhere in between that I think is is finding the sweet spot for people. And it's you know I I feel like there are certain things that people need to understand. There there is work that is beneath their expertise, and it's finding out what that is. And you have in the beginning you have to say yes to everything. Everybody always says you have to say yes until you can say no. And like I couldn't say no until a couple years ago and a lot of times now like I can say no but like I see an opportunity that I, I could use in the future like we had a gig a couple months ago and it was like for making Instagram filters which I didn't really want to do but it's because it was it was super super easy but it was something that you know we turned around and we sold it to you know three or four other people and made a lot more money off of it because I was willing to give it a chance and look for the positive in that in that opportunity.
0: And that's huge to, to just note there is things where you can build a system and a repeatable process, right? Like, okay, we had something like that, for instance, it was an SEO find I had. It took me 10 hours to do this first, do the first thing, right? 10 hours. Okay. I was charging hourly at that time. Now I I can do that fix in 10 minutes. It's still the yeah. fee. It's still a 10 hour worth fee. Like yeah, that's exactly. what it costs for me to do now because that's how much the expertise is. Um, so I I like that idea too, right. It's like when, for anyone listening to think about where, what can you put a repeatable system in place for that you can package up and every time you sell it, you have a higher margin or you're faster at it. Um, you also said something interesting about positioning yourself as a freelancer and it's like, you know, are you the Ferrari dealership or are you the dollar store? Because if I go to the Ferrari dealership and get a Ferrari, that thing better work. It better be great. It better, I better have like my favorite bottle of you know like the nicest coffee when I walk in. Like they're gonna give me everything. Where at the dollar but, store, if my if it breaks right away, I'm like oh yeah, it was a buck.
1: <laughs> I like to look at it more as like a uh, like a police auction, right? Like you could have like you could have a lamborghini that you could get for hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or you could you know get a station wagon and there's all this stuff in between so it's like i think that there are ways to to float below and like above being a freelancer there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with a freelancer There's there's freelancers out there that make a massive amount of money there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do you know you can do that i've just never i've never wanted to like lock myself down to that because i feel like also as a freelancer you have to be specialized. And I've always been very anti specialization. Um, and I know that's not a good thing. I wouldn't recommend it. It's kind of just a personal thing. And that's when, you know, every every part of your business, there is gonna be a part of it that's that's you. There's no separating that completely. Like there is gonna be some of your, you know, identity and, and what you want out of life in that business. And you just have to understand what that is. And, you know, this year has been <laughs> it's been a year. So it's uh it's made me realize a lot of things, especially in, in, you know, the last few months, like we went from looking for this, this big office space to losing every single one of our clients in three days. And then I, wow. I built it back up. Like I lost a hundred percent of all of our like billables for the rest of the year in the course of an hour, three days after we were looking for offices and you know we're like, we're back good now, but it's something that like, you have to be ready to take those swings and like I feel like as a freelancer, you're not as prepared for those swings because you're thinking about yourself as a freelancer. You're not thinking about yourself as a, as a company that can offer value to other companies. And I I think that's also, uh, if you don't call yourself a freelancer, then you kind of trick yourself into some confidence. If you have, if you struggle with that, like I used to.
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's like you said is, you know, you're not lucky to be working with these brands. Like you're partnering with the brand you're going in, you have value to add. They are paying you for a service that you are good at. Like, those are those exactly. things that are like hard to remember sometimes when you're in those situations <laughs> and you're just feeling like the imposter syndrome is kicking in and you're like, why am I here? Why are they paying me? I'm no good at this. Like, you said, I, positioning yourself as a company and thinking like that, thinking like the company will help you out.
1: Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm not even, I'm not going to lie. Like, that, that day, it was the worst day of my life. Like, I can't even, like, just thinking about that day it just is, is hard. Cause it was, and it was clients that like I've worked with for a long time and like we were making a lot of money for these clients, but it was just like it, you know, it happens and you can't be mad at a business for being a business. So it's, you know, I, I got upset about it. I let all the emotions out and then, you know, I sat back and I thought about how do I fix this? Cause I don't want to go get a real job. So how do I, how do I fix mm-hmm. this and make this better? And, and I think that, you know, after a couple of weeks that started to come together and you know, that's what is turning into Chroma Spring and it's something I'm, I'm really excited about.
0: It's it's interesting too, right? Like that you had to take that lump, and then when you're on the ground and you're starting to stand up, like that referee's giving you the seven, hey, yeah, and that's when you're like figuring out, like, okay, whoa, I just got knocked out. Like, what is yeah. my next move, right? How yeah, do I avoid like, that again?
1: Yeah, it was because it was it was something that like you know I like we lost more that day than I've ever personally made in a year, and it was something you know I was super proud of like how good we were doing and like. When the year started, like we were projected to like triple what we did last year, and we got close to what we did last year, but we didn't obviously make the money that we were going to. But the work that I think that we've we've done this year, and it's it's not just me. You know, I have I have a, an assistant who is you know he works extremely hard, and and we do a lot of very very difficult work, and it's I'm, I'm proud of what we were able to accomplish and the brands that we were able to work with this year. You know, given all the circumstances. Um, and I'm proud of being able to get paid from these people because uh, a lot of big brands have been dancing around invoices since March, and it's just not something. Uh,
0: I want to I want to dive <laughs> into that. It's not something I want to dive think into. It's this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to dive into this because we've spoken about it on Twitter and a little bit before we started recording. But like brands dancing around invoices and tip, like every person who is listening to this who has done a project for themselves, like a freelance or their own business, like has had somebody jump on an invoice. I don't, I haven't met a creative who hasn't had that, who still doesn't have an outstanding invoice from 2016. So how do you recommend, like, or what of best practices have you put in to kind of minimize, you know, the chances of not getting paid? Uh, yeah, anything in particular from a process standpoint?
1: Well, the first one, and the biggest one is don't go into it without a contract. Um, I was always too lazy to do contracts and I'm like, oh, it's, it's like, it's, it's not even that much money. Like, it's no big deal. Like this company has a ton of money. They're always going to have a ton of money. And then, you know, the world stops one day and these huge companies don't, you know, they're, they're cutting all their people and just doing all these things to try to not pay people and making up all these excuses. And at a certain point, I feel like you have to, and it depends on the situation. And like, like we talked about, it's, it's something that you need to understand when you can be aggressive because it's something that if you're dealing with a huge company that could just drown you in court fees and just wipe your company off the face of the planet because you can't afford to beat them in court, it's not worth it. Just you know, look at it as a lesson and, and keep it moving. But if it's something where you feel like you have leverage and your contract is good, contract is very important. Kill fees are very important, especially if you're doing media stuff.
0: Explain a kill fee for those who don't know.
1: A lot of people define them differently, but to me, a kill fee is you know we, we pitch the work uh, we try to define scope as much as as much as possible. Um, I usually scope creep myself because I get an idea and I just really want to do it, so then I you know go off on that. But that's a personal thing. Don't do that. But the kill fee is basically just a fee that is something that the client is liable for if they cancel the job or if they decide to like not take the work. So, for example, like a month and a half ago. We had a pretty decent size campaign that we were supposed to do. We sent the mood boards over, got everything approved, everything else delivered really, really great work. But they just, for whatever reason, they just decided they weren't going to like anything. And at that point, like, I, I had to decide if I sit here and I spend all of this time trying to make them like it, I'm going to hurt my business. If I cut the project right now, technically they're liable for the kill fee because we haven't completed the project but we should be paid for work that's performed so the kill fee can either be like if you have something that's scheduled you have to pay like a reservation fee because if i book an entire day to do a shoot and then three days before you're like oh we don't need it i'm not going to find a client to fill my time for that day so i need to be compensated for that because it was time that was set aside usually it's that's a reduced rate but it can be like a cancellation type of kill fee or it can be something that's you know for work performed. So in pretty much every contract that I do now, if it's something where we're not on the same page after two revisions and a genuine effort, I just don't think it's it's a smart thing to continue with it. And then, you know, that's when you put the verbiage together in in the contract to keep yourself as safe as you possibly can, but make sure that there's schedules on everything. Um there needs to be dates for when you're getting paid nonstop. Like those have to be very, very clear.
0: Oh, hundred percent schedules and milestones. And I would even add on, even if it's an existing client where we like, where we got burned is like, we had an existing client paying us monthly for a set of services. And then they want to do a one-off. Okay, cool. We did the one-off, we quoted it. We get to the end, go through two sets of revisions and they go, Oh, we don't want to use it. So we're not going to pay. I learned right there and I was like, what, you know? And then it's like, put them into collections and look, we never saw a dime, right? We never saw (laughs) another dime from that company. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, if we would have had milestones attached and if I would have said, amazing, we'll get started. Like we need 35% of the project fee to get started, another 35, like at when the first set of revisions is out and then another 30 upon completion. At least in that sense, I would have gotten 70%, right? of the contract. And it's like, oh, you got to take that lump though to learn and to be like, maybe I should do this.
1: Not something that's required, but I think it's something that helps. Like I require initials on every single one of those dates. So like, you know, like this is when you're supposed to pay. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and send you invoice reminders for three months. Like, this is a professional relationship. This is a working relationship. Like if I'm in a lot of cases, one person doing the work of something, your entire team and house should be doing. Like I need to get paid.
0: And this is something creatives need to like puff their chest out a little bit more with is like you did the work. You deserve to get paid on time. If you showed up at your shift at subway for two weeks, you expect (laughs) the money to hit on the the 15th. Like they would pay you. It would be there exactly at 1201 because Subway's not going to fuck around. Right. Yeah. And like, and if they didn't pay you, you would throw a fit. So exactly. why it's like, I would throw, so 16 year old me would throw a fit working at subway, but you know, 32 year old me won't, when I don't get paid from a, from like a brand, it's like, we as a community need to be like, when you don't get paid, it's like, it's something we've started to do is like, if you miss the deadline, like, okay, cool. Works on pause. We're putting work on pause until paid. Same, same thing. Like I don't, I
1: don't continue it. And it's like, it, And thankfully, like it's, I have been like lenient with a lot of payments depending on the project and depending on like how big that client could or is in my mind, could be or is in my mind. But I mean, since I was mowing lawns and, and selling hot sauce to taco trucks. Like I make sure that I get paid. Like I was I've been doing that since I was, you know, fifteen years old. Like if I did something like I deserve to get paid, I quit my first job because they were paying everybody in cash and I wasn't getting paid. So I was like, it's not something that you need and, to,
0: and that's, to be light on. That's where context and communication does come in. If a client says, Hey, we're gonna be one day, two days or like if they're communicating with you and you agree, okay, cool. And they've been around like but that's trust, communication, context with that client, right? Like me personally now we don't do any work we won't even lift, like I'll send over proposals, but I still, I don't give away the meat and the potatoes in the proposal until we're working together, only because I know, like I've had clients take the proposals and they say thanks and then implement our ideas two months later and never use us. And I was like, oh, you wanted to use us for like a thought farm and then have your in-house people do it. So now we're very big and we've shifted to the model. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Anything specific strategy wise outside of like, you know, a proposal, we're very much like, okay, cool. Like here's the deposit we'll get started here's how we approach strategy and proposals here's an example one we've done for another industry here's what it looks like like once you engage us how do you approach that are you like do you need a deposit do you guys go out do you put the proposals together where do you fall in that matrix when you're kind of getting your feet wet with a client
1: it depends on the client and depends on the project because like if you're working with like the you know, Adidas and Nike and, and stuff like that, they're not gonna pay you a deposit. It's not gonna happen. You're gonna be lucky if you get paid within three months at, you know, half the rate of what you would get from a smaller company. But the thing that I've you know been doing for the past probably say like six to eight months is we require it's it's a flat fee to test to, to test out an idea. So it's, you know, I think it's like a thousand dollars for the most part. It's not it's not anything crazy, especially if it's like yeah, you know, it's a rounding error in a lot of people's marketing budget so mm-hmm. that's enough to where it it makes it something where we're not just pitching on spec non-stop and as soon as we we get that like an mnda is required it's absolutely required because i've as much time as i spend on on concepts and things like that like if i see it somewhere else it's just gonna make my head explode so if it's like I'm not going to be used as an idea farm. Like, if you want the ideas, like we're going to be the ones that do it. Or like, if it's something I feel like we can't do, then I'll I'll connect you with someone who I feel could do it justice. But it's not something where, because I just think that's a a very slimy way to do business. And I know a lot of brands act that way. I know a lot of agencies, like you know, they'll hit up other agencies and try to get pricing and things like that. And to me, like what another agency is doing has nothing to do with my business at all. I feel like you have markets, but it's. If you operate that way and you operate in a sharky way like that, eventually it's going to bubble up. And I would rather just avoid that oh, completely. Oh, it's
0: going it's to come back to get you. It's exactly. It's going to come back to get you. And you said something, there's something else there, right? With putting out, it's the same thing with Weedy, with a small deposit or like a flat fee to test ideas. You're seeing and you're testing, if the customer won't pay a small amount, what makes you think they're ever going to pay the big amount? It's like for me, it's like, oh, let's, okay. You trust me. Great. I trust you. Now let's get this, you know, like for you have a test fee or Hey, great. Let's get the deposit. in. if they're like, oh, if they start dancing around the deposit, I know they're going to dance around the invoice, the final invoice. So I'm like, okay, cool. It's a red flag. I've been down this road before. I don't like it. I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, if they pay their invoice fast, it's almost always like a great situation. Like this year we've had a couple where they paid within like an hour of me talking to them for the first time they're paying that fee. And I'm just like, okay, like, I'm going to do this great work for you because you're like you get it. You get that I have bills too. <laughs> and that's the thing is like the client needs to understand is like you can be a bad client and I think sometimes people do need to fire their clients because it's it's like a toxic relationship and you're not doing any good for either party. So it's understanding, you know, when that that push and pull
0: is. Well, that's like the the matrix, the little photo I made and put out in the comments (laughs) on it. But it's just like, for listeners, I made a little matrix and essentially four quadrants. And you have low-paying, high-headache clients, low-paying, low-headache clients, uh, high-paying, high-headache clients, and high-paying, low-headache clients. And it was just saying, like obviously, low-paying, high-headache, you won't work with those people anyways. Low-headache, low-paying clients actually aren't bad. Those people keep the lights on. High-paying, low-headache, those are the dream like you're saying, the people who pay within an hour, but where we all get tricked and I'm guilty of it, and I probably still do it too often, is the high paying asshole client taking them on and starting to work and working with them and they're the headache and they're just like, they're sucking out your will to work while you're working with them and- Yeah, it's, 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 it's like, horrible, it's, it's the like, worst. Oh, so uh, do this, if you're listening to this, make that quadrant, draw it out and list out your clients and be honest with yourself where your clients fit on that matrix. And you'll start to go, oh, this is like the one agreement that I should like probably get out of or fire a client. Right. And I, I try to do that exercise once every six months or if I find myself in a pissed off mood. So <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like sometimes it's like when and it's like with that campaign that I was talking about before where like I was just so just done with the entire situation that I was just like, look, like I'm not going to charge you a penny. Like I spent like twenty five hundred dollars on props and materials and I spent probably over a hundred hours in three weeks, like working on this. And it was worth more to me to not do it. It was just harming so many other things and it was holding so many other things back that it was just a realization that I had to come to. And it's, it's, it's a sucky decision to have to make, but I feel like once you're able to make that decision, I think that's when you've, you've really uh, made that transition into someone who can think as a company and not as a freelancer. It sounds really egotistical now that I say it out loud, but it's-
0: It has I, to happen though. It's, yeah, it's it not even, it's you have to you think like the company. Right? Yeah, I love it. And I think that's where we'll wrap. That's it guys. Act like a business. We have to put that cap on. I think it's so important. Grant, thanks for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. Where can people connect with you online and learn more about Chroma Spring?
1: So Chroma Spring is at chromaspring.studio or chromaspring.com if you're not into the fancy domain names. Um, and it's going to be Chroma Spring on Instagram, Twitter, all that. And then personally at nos K N O W S.
0: Awesome. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes page. Grant, thanks again for coming on, dude. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, please hit like, share, subscribe. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.